Okay, this morning we will continue in Isaiah, and probably next week we will finish up on it. We have been on it almost two years. We are in chapter 65. Remember we had this long prayer by Isaiah, this long penitent prayer. And then in chapter 65, we would have Jehovah, and in chapter 66, we have Jehovah's answer. We have the Lord's answer to that prayer. And we saw where God was going to bring judgment on the enemies of God. This morning we'll be picking up in Isaiah 65, 17. And this concerns the new heavens and the new earth. And um, Dana, I'll have you start. Uh, Read verses 17 through 25 for us. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer would there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people, and my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in my holy mountain, says the Lord. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Okay. Now, uh, Jill, I'm going to have you look up Revelation 21, 1 and 2, and then verse 9 and 10. I'll tell you when to read that. And then Mike, John 14, 26. Now, um, in your notes, here we have Isaiah introduces the new heavens, and the new earth. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. What in the world is the new heavens and the new earth? They tell me the earth is 75 trillion years old. (laughs) And it's getting older by the billions of years every day. Anyway, what would that's, we're going to look into now and see what he means by the new heavens and the new earth. A lot of people, and 
have many different opinions on this. Some seem to be biblical, some are not so biblical. I'm going to try to explain to you what I think is the biblical, most biblical interpretation. Okay, the people in exile were restored to the land. You remember they came back to the land. And this would be kind of a foretaste of a new heavens and a new earth. They had gone into exile, and now they'd come back to the land, and everything would be new in a certain sense. But this is very weak, very imperfect uh, reflection, and it's actually just a shadow. That's in your notes. This is just a shadow of the new heavens and the new earth that Christ brought in. Brought in. So we're going to be talking about the new heavens and the new earth that Christ brought in. We're not going to be talking about the people restored to the land of Israel. <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> my view, and I think the Reformed view of this, is that the new heavens and the new earth were inaugurated by what? What inaugurates the new heavens and the new earth? What's that, Don? Resurrection of Christ. Resurrection of Jesus Christ, yep. All right, now, remember Christ, uh, uh, the church is the bride of Christ. Re let's have Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2 read. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Alright, so we see the new heavens and the new earth coming down out of heaven as the bride of Christ. Alright, let's have verses 9 and 10 read of Revelation 21. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Okay. So we see twice here <clears throat> that the new heavens and the new earth is referred to as the bride of Christ. So it's a kingdom that is not of this world. It's a new heaven and a new earth <clears throat> inaugurated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The new covenant order as opposed to the old covenant order. Um, so Christ died for his bride on the cross and he was raised and shortly thereafter the spirit-filled church is formed in Acts 2. You remember the apostles were together and men from every nation, tribe, and tongue were together and the Holy Spirit came down and formed the church, the bride of Christ on that day. And then in Revelation 21 and 22, we see it consummated. So it was inaugurated at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it was consummated. It will be consummated when he comes again. 
When did the Old Covenant start? Is the Old Covenant the same thing as the Old Testament? You know, in, in your Bibles, you have the Old Testament, you have the New Testament. Is that the same thing as the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? I see you shaking your head, Dana. You want to explain? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody want to? A lot of people equate the Old Testament with the Old Covenant, but I don't think that's exactly right. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. And this quotes Jeremiah 31. Alanda, I'll have you read that, and then we'll come back to Bud to read something. Uh, read. Oh, okay, Mike. Okay, I'll come back to you. All right, uh, eight, eight through twelve. We'll just go ahead and read the whole the whole quote. He's quoting Isaiah thirty-one here. I mean, Jeremiah thirty-one. Yeah. 8.8 through 8.12. Yeah, okay. you were next. Uh, for finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by a hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and, did, and I did not care for them says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Okay. Now, back in verse 9, verse 8, he says he's going to make a new covenant. And then in verse 9, he says, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took their hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So the old covenant actually starts with the time of Moses. The prologue would actually start in Genesis 1. But according to the author of Hebrews and according to Jeremiah, God made the old covenant with Moses and the people he led out of Egypt. And then, of course, Jesus says when he takes the bread and the wine, he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. So at the resurrection of Jesus Christ would be when we have the new covenant. Old covenant times goes from the time that Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt, new covenant, and that goes all the way up to the resurrection of Christ. So the new covenant will start with the resurrection of Christ. So it's not identical to the Old Testament and the New Testament as we find in our English Bibles. 
And so in the new covenant, we have the new heavens and the new earth where the former things have passed away. But did I ask you to read something? Okay. I was thinking I had. <clears throat> anyway, okay. All right, so the first thing mentioned is that in this new covenant, or any questions on that so far? I think people get really confused because there's covenants all over. There's lots of them. Yeah. How many covenants did has God made? and grace and covenant with Noah and covenant with Moses. And All right, the first two you said was covenant of works and then yeah, the covenant of grace. Before. But before are, we still, are we still in the covenant of grace? Yeah. Well, we so. always be in the covenant of grace. Yeah. All right. So there's two. But the ones that you were talking about are outworkings of it. Right. Yeah, each builds on the other. You don't have separate. You have the covenant of works made with Adam. And you have the covenant of grace made when God restored Adam. So we have the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. And then, of course, in the outworking of the covenant of grace, we have God's covenant with Noah, God's covenant with Abraham, God's covenant with Moses. God's covenant with David. They build on each other. And then finally Christ brings in the new covenant. One overarching covenant of grace. Okay? And I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. We're going to look at the notes here. The first thing mentioned in this is that they will rejoice. And God will rejoice with them. Isaiah 65 over here. Because in verse 18 he says, Be glad and rejoice forever on that which I create. For, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and the people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Notice how many times the word joy or rejoice or glad is in that. That shows how important it is for New Covenant Christians to rejoice in what's been done for them. And while we're talking about rejoicing, I want to go down to the fourth bullet here. And where it says creation returning to and exceeding its original state. Now when God created Adam, Adam was under the covenant of works. Adam sinned and then God uh, <clears throat> God um, put us under the covenant of grace with Christ as our covenant head. Now, why would the new covenant 
What advantage do we have in the new covenant over Adam in the covenant of works? Now, Adam was created very good, right? He wasn't neutral. Adam was created good. Everything God created was very good. It says at the end of Genesis 1. And he put Adam in the garden. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but you can eat of anything else. You are truly blessed. Okay. That, that was pretty good. He was in paradise. Okay, so what advantage do we have over Adam being in paradise? Why is the covenant of grace so much better than Adam and the covenant of works? Mike? Well, we have a mediator, and he, he fulfilled the covenant of works for us. Well, he didn't need a mediator. Because Adam didn't. Yeah. Okay. All right, so what's the implication that we have already had the covenant of works fulfilled for us? That Christ has already taken care of that. The resurrection. Okay. Yeah, but what does it mean to us? To the people under the new covenant, why are we better off than Adam was? Because the new covenant is based upon God, who is the fulfiller of the covenant, and can never break it. Okay. We need to remember, Adam never was confirmed. He was under the covenant of works. Now, we live in a time where our righteousness is confirmed. We cannot lose our salvation. Christ has done everything that needs to be done. So God has raised us to a higher estate than Adam was and probably that Adam could ever have been because we live in a state of confirmed righteousness as opposed to unconfirmed with Adam. Yeah, Mike? It's confirmed, but it's imputed. Mm -hmm. That's an important part of it. It it's is not imputed. resident yeah. in us. That's right. It's our alien righteousness. You're right. But we are confirmed in it. Van Til in his book, um, Biblical Theology, makes that statement. And if we could ever get that firmly in our heads, that under the covenant of grace, we're in confirmed righteousness. And now, if you're an Armenian, you're back, for all intents and purposes, you're back to the state of Adam. You can lose your salvation. You don't have that confirmed righteousness. Only a Calvinist can say, I have confirmed righteousness. Because it doesn't depend on me. Christ has taken care of that. And so we have creation now and us returning and exceeding the original state. Man is always under covenant. When Adam was created, he was under covenant works right away. And if he would have eaten of the tree of... I want to say this. I may be wrong in this. But I, don't, I think that when God created Adam, that he did not have a probationary period, so to speak. People say... I wonder how long Adam would have had to obey. Well, I think he would have been there in that estate until he either took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and died, or he would have taken of the tree of life and lived. His probationary period would be at the end of one of those. Look back at um, Genesis 3. 
So Adam could still be under probation and then one or the other. The way I read this, could be wrong. Now this was after Adam had sinned and he was clothed by God. And verse 22, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the best I can tell from the scriptures we have, I think it's less speculative than somebody saying, well, he'd have been on probation for a week or whatever. He'd have been on probation until he did one or the other. So it was an unspecified period, but he was always under the covenant of works. God has never worked with anything in creation without covenant. Yeah? Would you say unbelievers are still under the covenant of works? Yeah. They aren't covered by the covenant of grace. Right. And they can't fulfill themselves. Right. So they're... They're still in Adam. They're still in Adam. They're still down unless they repent. They choose Adam, you choose death. So we have much to be thankful for that we're in the new heavens and the new earth right now. All right, we see these things mentioned in here. We have a longer lifespans in verse 20. Verse 21 through 23, enjoyment. They're actually enjoying the labors. And in verse 24, answered prayer beyond their imaginations. And then at the end of this, it says, all these indicate that the curse will be rolled back. So we see as the earth is, that man actually starts taking dominion over the earth. The curse will be removed. And if you look back at Genesis 1, 26, I want to point something else out here. The, we, we have the idea of dominion here in verses 17 through 25 that we just read. And Bud, will you read for us verses 26 through 28? And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. To the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed. Okay, that's good. That's good. All right. Um, <clears throat> here we have God creating man in his own image. The very first thing recorded that God did was bless them. The very first thing he said to them was be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. 
And that's right after he said God made man in his own image. So I'm convinced that part of being the image of God is taking dominion over the earth. That's part of the image. That's the very first thing God tells Adam. And so part of our of man fulfilling his covenant obligations under God is taking dominion over the earth and when he does that, the curse gradually is rolled back. So now that Christ has risen from the dead and we are in the new covenant times, we're in the last days, we're in the new heavens and the new earth, we're finally regaining our image. Covenant man is finally being the kind of creature he was created to be and commanded to be and so he will fulfill the Great Commission because Jesus Christ is with us and he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so dominion man is now working out these things that God has told him to do. And the curse is being rolled back. And that's what's happening in the new heavens and the new earth. Anybody have anything to add to that? that's as far as we're going to get today. Obviously, the already and not yet. Yes, yes, we're in the already not yet phase. Um, we're already in the new covenant. We're already in the new heavens and the new earth, but we not yet see the consummation of it. Mike? Yeah, I, I agree with it. A lot of people, uh, a lot of other persuasions would read that as being... Uh, not just the end times as we see it, but you know, during the, the last six years, during the um, you know the new heavens and the new earth would be destroyed and recreated. Yeah, that's after we're raptured away. Yeah, like I said, the view I present is the, basically the reform view, yeah. which would be basically the biblical view. And if only Christians would study their Bibles instead of listen to pop theologians make a lot of money. Okay, Kim, will you close us in prayer, please?